Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Milos Novic. I'm an associate professor of law. And good morning, good evening, good day, or good, I don't know, epoch to everybody who is grumpy today. Hi there, Ria. Hi, Milos. How are you doing these beautiful, almost spring-ish days in Norway? Horrible. I'm actually doing really horrible because I have not done grumpy <laughs> GDPR in centuries. And spring in Norway means ice everywhere. I'm dreaming of sleeping on ice. Yes. And it's so good to see you again and have you back on our podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise, it's very nice <laughs> to see you too. And today we've picked a topic which makes us both super grumpy to mark my return. Yes. Ta-da. We are talking about the infamous uh, EDPB CEF action report on uh, DPOs. CEF being there, if I recall, coordinated enforcement action. action. Yes, that sounds fancy. Yeah. Well, it sounds maybe a little bit fancy, but it's, uh, as they describe it uh, themselves, it's a structure for coordinating recurring annual activities. And the purpose is to promote compliance, empower data subjects to exercise their rights, raise awareness and increase the knowledge of the uh, data protection authorities. So that sounds pretty cool. It does. If it works, it does. It's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) If it works, that is. And I'm sure that uh, some of our listeners have noticed that I did a couple of posts on this. And the very first post, I have to say, Melos, was very positive. I was super ecstatic that they finally released the report, although I was slightly skeptical considering what we knew from before that they were going to survey both organizations and DPOs. And unfortunately, my enthusiasm was quickly strangled. Well, I'm sorry about that. Like my first impression when I read that they're doing a report on the role of DPOs and how many resources they have, I was like, yes, uh, this sounds good. This is positive. But I had it in the back of my head like, wait, how useful is this going to be anyways? Like we know what the problems are. We just need to solve them. And uh, I guess to the usefulness, we can circle back afterwards. So you said that this is a comprehensive-ish report. Can you tell us a bit about what, what is inside of this report? When they initially announced it, interestingly, they said that the questionnaire will be sent to DPOs. And they didn't mention that it would actually go mostly to organizations, controllers and processors. And uh, as I mentioned for the CEF, the intention was to raise awareness and gather knowledge and really delve into the role of the DPO. And then we got this press release in uh, mid-January and I went through that and I quickly skimmed the report to see you know what what's uh, really standing out here and again I was super excited but then I started reading through the methodology on pages 9 to 11 I believe it was and got immediately several red flags right Yeah, so we do not think that the report itself was perfect or that it was good. Actually, I think it was horrible. Okay, let's let's play a game. You tell me one thing why you think that the report was bad and I'll tell you another. And let's see who manages to take their last turn. You want to start? Yeah, let's let's start with what really triggered my uh, deep dive because uh, honestly, Milos, I have 
dived it so deep into this report and kudos to the EDPB for actually sharing the data. I have to say that I think it's awesome that they actually published all of the data in the spreadsheets, uh, which also gave me the opportunity to really go through it in detail. And what really triggered my curiosity was question 22 on do you have sufficient resources as a DPO? And I was blown away by the many countries listing 100%. That is absolutely not aligned with my experience or talking to numerous DPOs for years. Like, honestly, how many of us have sufficient resources to really exercise our role? Well, you never know. Maybe there are like thousands of Aladdin's lamps out there and, you know, many DPOs got a a hand on them and wished for a thousand, like thousand percent resources they need. I mean, yeah, so this is a crucial question to DPOs, right? Do we have sufficient resources? So that was what I first started looking at. And in my first deep dive, I noticed something very peculiar about the Austrian results. And I'm not gonna, you know, make any assumptions or do any conclusions here, but I would encourage people to look at those results themselves. It's very, very peculiar that the Austrian results score 100% wherever the 100% is most beneficial or 0% where that is most beneficial. So I think we could probably disregard that part of the report. And I have to mention another thing. Where is Romania? We have to hear from our colleagues in Romania. Like it's very, very interesting to see that the results are missing. So yeah. yes, I agree. It's uh, it's very, very strange to look at those results, and I think it harkens back to the flawed methodology. Now, now this is my reason of grumpiness. It's that they say very explicitly in the report. Well, we acknowledge that we did not agree more or less on what kind of questions we're going to have, what those questions, how are they to be interpreted, what are we really asking about, and are we asking qualitative or quantitative questions? So wait, what did you actually agree on? This is no, let's yeah. let's not forget this is a coordinated enforcement action. Whomever did the coordinating part. I will use this again. Please stop immediately. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. What did you, what did you agree on? If you didn't agree on that. So yes. It, exactly, and it's concerning. Why? How did they manage to first discuss this on the level of the EDPB, and then they agreed on the questionnaire, as they said. But then each country took that questionnaire and still tailored it. I don't. I really don't get that. With the, if the attention is to compare the results on the European level, why would you change the questions, add the questions, remove questions, or add or remove the uh, alternatives right. to respond? And include no open fields, and it's it's bad. But you know, this actually makes me think how um, we cannot take statistics very seriously, and it's easy to manipulate all the statistics, right? I mean. Uh, it's just easy. And we've seen that with many other statistics in the field of data protection as well. Um, Now, off the top of my head, uh, the EDPB using the Gallup survey infamously for their decisions in Meta, which said that I think out of 1000 respondents, quite a few were confused with the difference between contractual necessity and consent under Mm -hmm. the GDPR. And that that indicates unfairness of processing. I mean, come on, please stop an average person on the street and ask them about contractual necessity versus consent. So it's easy to find a small pool of people, ask them about something like this, and these are useless results. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. And 
after I, I went through um, the data, I thought, okay, let's pull out all of the data from the countries that only surveyed DPOs. So I did that and I ended up with the seven countries that, that actually did that. But even there, I found huge concerns. Uh, for example, one very peculiar thing about the Dutch ones was the extremely low response rates, both uh, both in uh, the Netherlands and Belgium, of respectively nine, uh, some 9% something and 13%, I think mm. it was, which is shockingly low. Right. And the explanation that I got from um, a few DPOs from those countries was that the questions were hugely confusing. They, they didn't actually understand the questions in their native language. So that is also uh, concerning. But after I, I posted, I think, three times on LinkedIn about this and asked DPOs to get in touch with me. And the hugest concern I have now is based on that feedback where a lot of people have told me that they didn't respond truthfully in fear of being audited by the DPA after. Right. It does require a certain level of trust, right? The DPA is asking you, uh, do you have a DPO in accordance with the law? And you're saying, hmm, we might not have a DPO in accordance with the law. It does require a certain level of trust. And regarding the uh, the actual structure and methodology, as you mentioned, in those regards as well, kind of having that uniform approach and the terms which were used and people not understanding them in their language, you see that also mentioned quite explicitly in the report. So they say, uh, they say that it must be noted that the survey did not define handling or solving of issues. And due to design, we cannot be sure how each respondent calculated this. Once again, how did you make the survey? Why? Yeah. Yeah, and, and also a comment in the spreadsheet that it seems that uh, this question has been interpreted differently right. in various countries. Exactly. So that is also, and you had uh, something on the experience and expert knowledge, right? Yes, but you know what? I want to talk about that more in the sense of, okay, we have the results, we see how bad the DPOs have it. But this report is not really just the report on what is the status quo of DPOs, because it makes quite a few kind of substantive statements there. And it seems implied mm. that some level of expertise, some level of knowledge is required of DPOs. So there are many of those, as we call them, nuggets, right, which are spread throughout the report. And one of them is certainly that uh, looking into the experience of the DPOs, uh, you need to look into very broad context. So it's not just data protection. It's also information security, how many of them have background in that. Now, I do agree that understanding IT is core of core is necessary mm -hmm. to be a DPO. But at the same time, the GDPR is clear. It states expert level of knowledge in data protection, right? So uh, I don't know yeah. how useful that is. Yeah, and, and I also react to the way they phrase the question. And this was question nine, because experience is one thing, right? You can have worked with something for one day and then you think that you have experience. And they mix that up with expert knowledge in the very same question. Like anybody could answer yes to that, right? Mm. Um, what's more concerning on that question is you would probably ex expect 100% on have you worked with uh, data protection and privacy matters with data breach notifications, etc. And there were several who had said no or they didn't have any or little experience with that. So that might be one interesting 
finding in the report. Well, you see, to me, this is not problematic at all because you have people who have just started working in those roles who need to build their competency up. Uh, maybe some organization didn't have a data breach since they started working. So we also have to remember that there are lots of yeah. beginners, right? So to me, That's yeah, true. it's not that problematic in itself. And the fact that they say um, at some stages, so during the survey design, they didn't take that into account, but in the report, they do state that the experience is not the same as knowledge uh, i'm a bit torn on that one so look i mean um, i work with kind of uh, communicating knowledge and with teaching and things like that but i do not have i have much to teach to someone who has worked with the gdpr for five years um, maybe you need less training maybe mm -hmm. but i don't know to me experience can in many circumstances give you knowledge yeah of course and i think there needs to be a balance there right uh, there's one thing if you only stayed in in the knowledge sphere your entire life without being actually on the ground doing the nitty-gritty and i absolutely recommend everybody has to do the ropa or write uh, not necessarily write all of the privacy notices but be in the game and actually, you know, get your hands dirty. I feel very kind of uh, singled out right now, profiled. Like, I don't have my own <laughs> hands dirty. Oh, come on, you've been in the game I've as well. But, but see, it's uh, I would do horribly on the questionnaire. Um, <laughs> there are some interesting things there. They do say that you need to set time aside to read the Court of Justice uh, rulings, to read their guidelines and opinions. But interestingly enough, that's not knowledge to them. Based on what I recall, that is. I don't know. It's weird to quantify knowledge in any case. And here is the thing that really rubs me off the wrong way. Uh, they say that uh, the DPOs need extra education, no, 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 because of this and that. And then they round it off by saying, because of the new developments regarding the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, the Data Governance, blah, 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 AI Act, uh, I very strongly disagree. Like, what's your business here, EDPB? The GDPR says expert level of knowledge in data protection. If somebody does not want to sit down and learn about the bloody intermediary responsibility, find me, mm. you know, let's see how that goes. Yeah, and we can't expect all DPOs across the board to have expert knowledge and experience in the big five laws that you just mentioned. And it depends on the role and the country and the context, of course. So I would say, honestly, yeah. under the GDPR, there is zero requirement to have experience with those. Uh, yeah. Again, depends on how you define data protection matters. Those are my principal thoughts on, um, on generally the survey itself. Uh, there are a couple of other concerning statements in there as well. But let's talk about those a bit later, the parts which feel kind of more snuck in. Uh, what else? You know, if we look beyond all the criticism that we have and uh, the deficiencies in, in the survey, I did look at it from the perspective of, okay, what can we actually take away from this? Is there any value to this? Can we learn anything from this? And I have a few points that I would emphasize. For example, that um, the point on having this engagement letter 
where you formalize the DPO duties and conditions for performing uh, the role. I think that is a very sound advice that I fully support that whenever you go into a DPO role and maybe especially an external one, that you have some sort of role description or as I would do as an external DPO, I have it in my engagement letter. I have it in my contract that these are the articles, you know, 37 to 39. I've broken it down. Yes, I made a table where I specifically state each part of the responsibility and how that is implemented in the engagement that I have with the client. So, for example where you should share the contact information with the DPO and in what form, etc. So I think that is a really good way of also um, shedding some light on what is the DPO's role and responsibility at a given organization. I agree. And when it comes to external DPOs and consultants, they also mention, and I find this really funny, make sure that they are not spread too thin. So check how many clients they have. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of external DPOs would, uh, you know, uh, get their um, genes in a twister. But um, I, I actually think that is uh, a legitimate question. I think so too. Like you need to make sure that the DPO is able to perform their tasks and that is a relevant question. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just... So if you know that the external DPO has, as uh, I know, two uh, persons have said, respectively having 300 and 600 uh, clients that they act as external DPO for. And, you know, I would never brag about that because that only tells me that you're not doing your job. Or you're a superhuman. We don't know. We don't know. We no. cannot know. No, um, absolutely not. Nobody can ever do that role with, you know, I would even challenge more than just a few clients, hmm. but uh, that's me. To me, there are two hugely uh, problematic statements in this. And I guess we can talk about DPO independence independently. Uh -huh. uh, but there is one statement saying that uh, the same DPO cannot represent both or work both for data controller and data processor because there is an inherent conflict of interest due to different responsibilities and interests. Why the hell not? I haven't caught up on all of the CGU stuff entirely, but I do not see any problem. I've never seen that in any decision or ruling. No, neither have I. It might be. If, if anybody knows of it, we would love to No, hear. no. So they referenced the, um, I want to say X versus Dresden. And it's, it's not X and it's unlikely Dresden, but the, the case. And there is nothing there. So yeah. to me, it's just ridiculous. If anything, if, you're, if you have an overview of both and can influence both... Uh, Yes, so that, look out for that, because it's stupid. Yeah, because the whole, you know, you're neutral. Yeah. So how could that be a conflict? I, yeah, you know, I haven't given it much thought, but I think I agree with you. Yeah, like, as I've said, let's maybe just do an episode of Independence someday, because this is this is pretty ridiculous. Oh, and there they oh, say, I'd because they're monitoring. And I'm like, did you forget how DPO monitors, what it means? Uh, yeah. And they say the same, actually, for law firms, that the law firm can't necessarily be a DPO if they represent you in court. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So let's talk about that independence some other time, I guess, because yeah. it's uh, lots of stuff is stuck in. So are you continuing to write to the EDPB? I have invited them on uh, the podcast to uh, discuss with us our um, feedback. So I really hope that they'll say yes. It would be lovely. 
I mean, I'm very critical towards the survey, but we can all learn something. And I have been wrong so many yeah. times. So I would be happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, here. you know, that's what we do, Milos. We go on uh, on audio and we are wrong sometimes. But uh, somebody has to lead that uh, game, right? Because it's so important to have a public debate, people. Please don't be shy in sharing your opinions. And what's the worst thing that can happen if we're wrong? You know, we're not doing brain surgery or any of that sort so maybe it'll hurt our egos once in a while but come on we can deal with that right yes we absolutely can we absolutely can there is nothing wrong in saying hey i made a mistake here so uh yeah. i do hope that i have another key mm -hmm. takeaway though uh that or key takeaway key takeaway it's uh something that i noted at least it's on question 34 on the reporting so I think um, this is really interesting that several say that no reporting is expected. And I think that puts you in a really bad position, dear DPO, if you listen to this, because I call it evidencing. As a project manager for most of my career, I have always uh, used meeting minutes and I have had my own project manager diaries to just record everything throughout the project. And I absolutely encourage every DPO to do the same. So uh, let's, for, for example, I come into an organization, this has happened several times, leadership tells me one thing about uh, their status quo and what the prior DPO did and didn't do. And then I read the DPO annual report and I get a whole different impression. Mm because the DPOs have in fact, uh, for example, uh, warned management several times about things that needs to happen, but they haven't listened. And that will be so crucial if you get audited by a DPA. And in um, I attended the, the Danish DPO Association's meeting yesterday, where Alan Frank from the DPA was. And uh, this was a debate because somebody asked, is uh, the DPO expected to notify the DPA if management doesn't listen to your advice? And of course, you know, nobody expects you to go to the DPA. I think that's pretty uh, a pretty fair assumption. But you have to have made your point of view known in some way and not only in a meeting. So... Use the annual reports. Uh, I would encourage, uh, you know, you have to do at least one annual reporting. I think it's important. I think it's important both because of the DPOs themselves, but also because of the principle of accountability. How are you ever going to prove we've worked with this if there are no reports yeah. of it? And uh, regarding going to the DPAs, I think we need to understand that the DPOs are people. Despite all the legal protections, of course, they're going to feel scared of getting fired. Uh, at the same time, there is this line where you stop being a DPO and where you see something horrible is happening. I'm no longer an employee. I'm a person now and screw this. You know, uh, if we're yeah. going to start recording every employee, I'm going to go to the DPA as a person. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to mention another thing on the um, methodology. And, you know, I have to probably have to do like a huge article on this because there's so many things that we could dive into. But, you know, it's not that uh, valuable, I think, as a takeaway. But I, I read um, the uh, country reports as well from the authorities. And it's concerning that they are putting so much emphasis on the results 
when, for example, because they, they, they speak about using the results across the board to write up new guidance, uh, etc. But if you look at, for example, Estonia, they had 19, France 15, despite noting 30,000 registered DPOs in March 22. So how can they really leverage the results when they are asking so few people? Right. So I hope that the authorities as well take uh, that on board on a national level as well. And I'm no expert in statistics, but even those 15, uh, I would guess that the, there is some difference between those who want to answer you and the rest that you can't reach. So uh, I don't know, like... Uh, it remains to be seen at the same time, you know, we knew the problems the DPOs face even before this. I would just scrutinize this document from the point of curiosity, but also from the point of yeah. let's look into what else is in there. Yeah. So then we talk about numbers in a super grumpy way in the near future, hopefully. And I think that we definitely have to talk about DPOs and their independence and other stuff more and hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. And to wrap up, I can mention that we have uh, two, mainly two European based umbrella organizations for DPOs. And you know who you are. And both of you are planning a DPO survey, which I think is awesome. Maybe we'll have some more uh, credible results coming from those. But I'm just, I'm not gonna, um, uh, we're not gonna discuss this, Milos, but I wanna put the question out there. Why do we have two European based umbrella DPO associations? So that is uh, uh, an organization that collates several of the D national DPO associations. Wouldn't it make sense to have one? So that is uh, one thing. And I hope that you can at least collaborate on your forthcoming DPO service to make it as valuable as possible and to prevent overlap. We have so many countries to cover. Maybe you can share. Yes. Yes, indeed. You know what? Maybe you have some platform idea, I wonder, where you could ask people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The uh, up and uh, coming, uh, taking over entire Europe platform. Europe? Yeah, I expect more from you. <laughs> oh, for, oh, we forgot to mention another grumpy thing, Milos. Yes. Noib did also a GDPR slash DPO survey. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Like, I've heard about it, but I haven't actually looked at it. It's called GDPR, a culture of non-compliance, question mark, and uh, numbers of evidence-based enforcement efforts. So I'm not only grumpy at EDPB, and to just prove that I am neutrally grumpy across the board, I am also almost as grumpy at NOIB that I've, I have to mention, volunteered for for the last three and a half years, summarizing 76 uh, decisions on their GDPR hub. Uh, but I think they're doing themselves a huge disfavor in the way that they are describing the results. So that all report is also full of red highlights. And I don't think first you can conclude with a culture of non-compliance, as they say. And also several places they are highlighting that we, we haven't reached 100% compliance. And people, please... There is no such thing as 100% compliance, not even in the authorities, not at NOIB, not at 
anyone's organization or company because it is impossible. Definitely. And I would say at some point, it's, yes, we, we have talked about that. It is impossible. It's unreasonable. It's everything. We've had people from data protection authorities say the same to that effect. As for Noib, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will have to take a look into it. But after the Gallup survey, I have to say I am skeptical. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and as they write uh, a question, 100% compliance out of reach for most? Question mark. I, I can respond to that. It, it, it's for everyone. It's out of reach of uh, of everyone. And again, there are some interesting findings there, but I think that they don't manage entirely to to stay unbiased here. So uh, with this, I just want to encourage people that if you want, if you're going to do a survey, why can't we just hire professional firms to do that so that you can get as unbiased a view as possible. Well, you know, we never know. Uh, as they say, you're going to find what you're looking for. So in a way, if you're looking for lack of yeah. compliance, you're going to find it regardless of who does it for you. So I have to say, with uh, without not having any knowledge whatsoever in statistics, this was tons of fun. <laughs> and I'm so happy you did all of this work. And I can't wait to pick up this conversation sometime. Yeah, me too. And uh, keep an eye out, folks, for my upcoming summary of uh, all of this. And I most certainly will. So have a fabulous day, week, month. We will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.